I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Money Matters Top Tips for Success, where I bring on business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives and have them give their top tips for success with you. Uh, my name is Adam Torres. Instagram, ask Adam Torres to keep up with my book releases, book tour schedule, signings, all that good stuff. Love to connect with you there. I'm really excited today to have Brian Portnoy on the line. He is the uh, head of education over at Magnetar, and we are here talking about his book today, The Geometry of Wealth, How to Shape a Life of Money and Meaning. Uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, so before we get into your book, um, I'd like to start with going into your background a little bit. So so how did you get started uh, in the business? I see you hold the CFA um, designation, very difficult designation to get. Um, so obviously your, your background knowledge in finances is, uh, is up there. Um, how did you get started with all this? Yeah, you know, it's actually not a, a typical finance story. Uh, going back uh, some decades, I did a, a PhD in uh, politics and economics at the University of Chicago. And, um, you know, so I was going to be going down the academic route. I ultimately decided that uh, I, I didn't uh, want to be kind of working in, in the university world and, and got a kind of relatively junior level position at an investment firm or research firm here in Chicago called called Morningstar. And, you know, that was the point at which I, you know, earned my uh, chartered financial analyst designation, as as you pointed out. And, you know, ever since then, that was about 20 years ago, um, you know, I, I've sort of worked my way through the financial services business, mostly um, in the asset management field. I, I worked for Morningstar uh, and then moved on to the hedge fund industry where I um, uh, did research and analysis. And, you know, fast forward to today, um, I have, um, you know, a significant writing career, which we can talk about, uh, which has helped me to sort of understand kind of where I've been and where I'm going. And I also work for an investment firm here in Chicago called Magnetar Capital. What kind of what kind of advice would you give to the to the uh, new college grad that's looking to break into finance? Yeah, the main piece of advice I would give is to do it for the right reasons, which is a nice or a vague way of saying don't do it for the money. Um, you, this is a field, like any other career for that matter, where you, you really have to sort of indulge your curiosity and, and pursue your passion, uh, be, be willing to, to learn a lot, uh, to, to meet a lot of people. And if, if there's something in this world of investing or banking or a, any other, you know, number of kind of uh, sort of corners of the, of, of the finance world, that, that's great. But I do see a number of people enter this industry because they think, well, you know, uh, salaries are, you know, pretty pretty good, and and I can make a lot of money there, and they end up being miserable because it's not what they really want to do. So um, great if you want to come into financial services. There, there's a lot of smart people doing interesting and good work, but um, just just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. That's great. Um, and any comment on um, on great areas to go into? So meaning there's two, it seems to me from a high level point of view, there's two different sides of it. So there's, there's obviously the back office side and there's the sales side. Um, for, and that's, of course, um, generalizing. But for the most part, a lot of people go into the industry as advisors or, or analysts or, you know, some junior level position in either of those two. Do you mm -hmm. see opportunity in one versus the other in today's, in today's um, kind of workplace? 
Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I see some areas where there's a ton of opportunity and other areas where there's not. And so I would, I would give uh, a slightly different kind of layout of the, the map of the industry. And I'd probably break it out into three areas, but it's such a massive and complicated sector. It's, you know, this is obviously just a, an approximation. So to me, you, you've got, um, uh, asset management, you've got wealth management, and you've got banking. Those are all huge industries in and of themselves, all underneath the financial services umbrella. You know, asset management uh, is um, managing other people's assets. You could be at a mutual fund company or, or a hedge fund firm, a lot of other, you know, different types of institutions. Um, banking, uh, going into investment banking, you know, mergers and acquisitions and deals and IPOs and all that kind of stuff. And then finally, wealth management, which is, you know, being a financial advisor, whether it be at a mega firm like Merrill Lynch or UBS or, you know, being at a small firm that's, you know, just uh, ju just independent. My observation is actually that the financial advice business is the one that's most wide open um, to um, doing a lot of great work and making a great living uh, uh, along the way. Um, you know, it's hard to say that there's not great paths to follow in asset management and banking, uh, but in asset management in particular, that, um, you know, that, that field has changed a lot. The, the industry is consolidating, margins are coming down, um, and um, I'd say there's less to do versus wealth management where, you know, I actually think there's a shortage of young people who go into that industry because they don't fully understand what it's all about. Yeah, definitely. And every number that I'm seeing uh, in terms of financial advisors um, in any type of article, it's it's saying that there's, uh, you know, a lot a lot of the old ones are retiring that have been in the industry for a long time, and they will continue to retire at a faster clip. And the um, the need for new advisors is definitely uh, growing. Um, um, mm -hmm. so all, all interesting stuff as, as new investors come into the market. Um, let's transition a little bit. I want to I want to get it with the time we have left. I want to get into uh, I want to get it more into your book. So the geometry of wealth: how to shape a life of money and meaning. Um, first, what inspired you to write the book? It's a good question. So I um, several years ago uh, began. I was working for a money management firm, but our main clients were financial advisors, Merrill Lynch, Raymond James, Morgan Stanley, UBS, and so forth. And so um, I spent most of my career, you know, close to 15 years, really just being on the institutional money management side of things. And then I entered this world of, um, of financial advice and, and realized that there were just a, a lot of really interesting and interested people trying to help their clients plan for better financial futures. And one of the big, or maybe the big question that my sense everybody was sort of asking, but not too directly was, am I going to be okay? Me, my partner, my family, my, 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 my community, are we, are we going to be okay? Are we making the right financial decisions? And so I, I wanted to write a big picture uh, book about uh, answering that. Um, you know, the question that most people are not a asking is, hey, have you built me the, the best portfolio possible? It might be what people talk about, but it's by far less important than the broader question of, you know, are you defining your goals properly and are you pursuing them in, in the right way? So, you know, the geometry of wealth is kind of my, my take on what's involved with uh, 
defining true wealth and uh, setting out uh, an achievable uh, a, a path to get there. Can you talk more about the term uh, funded contentment? Uh, so first time I've kind of seen that was is in your writing. Um, so can you elaborate more on what that means? Yeah, that's the core. Uh, that's the core concept of the book, and I'm, I'm glad you glad you raised it. Um, so I, I define uh, I make a big distinction between being wealthy and being rich. Be, being rich is having more money um, and, and the things that money buys. But we know, not just anecdotally, but from social psychology and neuroscience, that the accumulation of things um, and striving for uh, all of the achievements that we're told that we, we, we need to get to, fame, beauty, athletic achievement, career success, as well as a large bank account, uh, science has demonstrated that the happiness that all of that brings, if any, is, is pretty short-lived. And so being rich is a quest for more that's not terribly satisfying, whereas being wealthy is having the ability to underwrite a meaningful life. And my shorthand for that ability to underwrite a meaningful life is funded contentment, because I think what most of us are trying to do is, is lead a good life, one that we're proud of, one that we're going to kind of wrap up at some point without major regrets and, and feel like, you know, we, we did a lot of good things. And so we want that deeper sense of meaning and contentment. And then we have to recognize that money is one inescapable part of that journey. So how do we fund contentment? How do we underwrite meaning? Um, how can we afford uh, a, a joyous life? The, these are actually they're really big questions, obviously, uh, but they're also awkward, difficult questions. Um, money is sort of the topic we don't talk about. It's um, it's very emotionally charged. Uh, money is uh, in some ways a emotional lightning rod for you know, hope and, and, and joy and fear and envy and anger and boredom and every emotion you can name in some ways um, can attach itself to money. So I wanted to provide sort of a, a vocabulary and a set of mental models and a, and a path to get at, you know, this notion of funding contentment. No, I love it. Um, all great stuff. And I'm uh, and I'm kind of curious on this end, and I know we don't have too much time left, but I, I want to get a little into this, and because I'm just mm -hmm. a behavioral finance nerd, um, <laughs> the human brain's wired for two distinct experiences of happiness. Can you elaborate on that a little for me, please? Yeah. Um, so there's, uh, you know, if you go to the the thesaurus and 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 look at happiness, you'll find 20 or 25 different words that kind of uh, refer to something we generally call happiness. And um, uh, it's a complicated topic. It's one that neuroscientists and psychologists have studied for as long as those disciplines have been around. It's also a topic that, you know, ancient Greek philosophers wrote about at, at length. And the way I kind of summarize um, kind of the wisdom and, and, and as well as the science is that we have really two um, general senses of happiness uh, that are wired into our brain. One is called experienced happiness, which is just the kind of day-to-day, -day, um, you know, sort of ups and downs, good mood, bad mood, and you're sort of happy, you're sort of sad. It, it's random, it's a little bit unpredictable, and it comes and goes somewhat subconsciously. And then there's a separate, and from a neural perspective, distinct um, experience, which I call uh, reflective happiness, which is the step back. It's 
stepping back and saying, hey, am I leading a good life? Um, is this going as I had hoped? Am I going to be okay in the future? All those sorts of big picture questions. That's actually a very difficult and literally effortful um, exercise to go through. Um, it drains glucose from the brain. It's not, we don't, you and I don't sit around all day, every day thinking, am I leading the good life? No, you're, you're, you're out doing your thing, uh, as, <laughs> as is everybody else. Uh, and so that experienced happiness and the reflective happiness, they're both real. Um, you're, you're sort of experiencing both of them simultaneously, but they are distinct. And one of the big perspectives from the book, based on a lot of the existing uh, science that, that's available, is that money interacts very differently with experienced happiness versus reflective happiness. No, that's great. And it, so it seems to me like, um, and everybody listening to this, definitely go grab this book. Uh, it's real. It's super interesting. And and the main thing is this. So today you got a. Um, you know, uh, the tip of the iceberg on what Brian's actually writing about here. And in my opinion, um, just that awareness of the different types of happiness gives you so much more of an opportunity to achieve um, the goals that you're go aiming to reach, but also um, that whole idea of funded contentment. So, um, Brian, hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, telling us more about your book. Um, for the listeners, again, it's The Geometry of Wealth, How to Shape a Life of Money and Meaning by Brian Portnoy. Um, thanks again, Brian, and have a wonderful day. Appreciate it.